You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on his yoke. We are pressing into his promise of true life. Hear the word of the Lord. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even by worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when, the, when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people before, because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give, give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we um, look at your word together, we know that it is speaking to us here and now. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that you would illuminate our minds, that you would help this text transform our lives, God, that this would not just be about learning more facts about you, but that it would literally transform us from the inside out. Speak to us, God. We're listening. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, hey, before, before I start, you know, as, as we continue to journey along together as a church, um, one of the things that we want to do is um, begin to, we want to continue to be expressive in worship, Right? So one of the ways you can do that is by um, having fun in the sermon, all right? right? So instead of this just being like the Matrix, if that's a data reference, sorry, but where you just plug in or your iPhone, you like plug in your iPhone and download the data and this is a data dump. This is a part of worship, right? God is speak to, speaking to us here and now. So feel free to talk back. You know, uh, one of my pastors used to say, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? Um, this, is, this is fun, and I want this to be fun, okay? This is not just information dump. So as we continue to grow as a church, as we continue to um, move forward together, 
We want to we be expressive in worship, and worship is not just singing. Um, it's, it's all of the service, and it's all of life. Um, so anyways, there you go. Let's have fun today, right? All right, so we find ourselves um, into, in a section of Scripture, right? We looked at it last week, or started last week, and then looked at it, looking at it today, what's often called um, the missionary discourse, okay? Or to kind of put it in terms for today, the Sermon on Mission. So if you remember, as we, we've been studying Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7, it's a big teaching chunk from Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And then this section that we're looking at, Matthew 10, another teaching section, is referred to as the Sermon on Mission. So what Jesus is doing is he's getting ready to send his first disciples out into the world to join him in the ministry that he's already started. And like any good leader, he's sending them out with instructions. What we're going to look at today is God is telling us what it looks like to be disciples, what it looks like to truly be a disciple of Christ and to really join God on mission of advancing his kingdom to the ends of the earth. So as we unpack the text today, we're going to look at three exhortations or or, um, encouragements that I think Jesus um, is giving to us. That's calling us um, to deeper and greater trust in him. And being a disciple of Jesus, living on mission, it's hard. And the things that Jesus calls us to are challenging. It's not for the faint of heart. But what's beautiful is I I think that Jesus calls us to, um, what what he calls us to most is to experience him, to know and to trust him and his power as we walk along in discipleship, as we live on mission. So the first thing that he calls his disciples to, we see in verse 24 through 33, he calls them to have no fear. He starts off, he says, students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, some translations say Beelzebul, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. So as Jesus continues on in this uh, sermon on mission, one of the things he's doing is he's explaining the challenges and the pains of discipleship. And he gives us three illustrations there. And in doing so, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that they shouldn't expect to get better treatment than he did. They shouldn't expect to go through easier lives than what he went through. Right? If if you think about this um, in in terms of maybe a a modern example, right? One of the things that probably many of us have to do is is call um, the helpline, right? Like, so think about calling your cable company, okay? Maybe it's AT&T or Spectrum, right? You've probably all done this because they continue to raise your rates and you get frustrated every time and they tell you every time, well, this is the contract, I'll say this way, but it's not, right? So you call again, frustrated, right? The first person you get to, you let them have it. You've been waiting on the phone for a while and you just lay into them, right? You're, finally, you're done. You're like, okay, you're not getting me where I want. Can I talk to your supervisor, right? What happens when the supervisor gets on the phone? Usually, like, we, we kind of bring it down a level, right? We're not so intense. We give a little more respect to them. I don't know why. Like, maybe it's we think they can do more for us, or maybe we think less of the first line of defense. I don't know. But there's something to be said here, and I think this is what Jesus is talking about. Those of higher authority we often give higher respect to. So as disciples of Christ, like, think of the things that Jesus has gone through, the things that people have said to him, or the things that... Um, have been done to him, right? And as disciples, he's saying, like, if they treated me this way, you're the lower authority. They're going to treat you even worse. You should expect this. 
But Jesus comforts them, right? He, he gives them a word of comfort in this kind of scary thought. He says, don't be afraid of those who threaten you. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, why, why would you fear those humans that threaten you if they can only hurt your earthly body? The worst that can happen is earthly harm, right? Isn't that what he's saying? Jesus is saying, don't, don't fear, don't just fear man at the expense of fearing God because one has temporary consequences and the other has eternal consequences. But look at this. Jesus goes on. He says, have no fear. Why? Because the Father cares for you. Verse 29, he says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your Father knowing it. So sparrows, they're, they're selling for, he's saying, they're, they're selling for a penny in the market. They're worthless, right? Only the poor people buy those for food. But that which is worthless to people is not always worthless to God. Even though these sparrows were dollar store items, God didn't give them dollar store treatment. He cared about these things. And not only that, Jesus goes on in verse 30, he says, the very hairs on your head are numbered. These insignificant little protrusions that stick out from your head that, that do nothing, like what, what is the function of hair? I don't know. But even these things, as insignificant as they are, they count to God. This speaks to the reality that God cares about people, that he's engrossed with you, specifically his disciples. One author I, I read this week, it says, when anything is numbered, it is cared for. When anything is numbered, it is carefully watched over. Or to put it another way, when anything is numbered, it is valued. Right? This, is a, this is a lived reality in our household. Um, our son, James, not, not Pastor James, it's weird, but our little baby James, right, he, he loves pacifiers, okay? So our BBs, nooks, whatever you call them, right? These are of value in our house. It's like rubber gold, if you will, okay? They're important to us. And so regularly, I would say probably once or twice a week, like Sarah and I get together, we're like, all right, it's time for a pacifier reconciliation. So we go, we walk around the house, you know, look under the crib, you know, under furniture, everything, right? Because these things are so important to us. I know exactly how many there are, okay? There's, I think, four greens, four blues, and two white and clear ones, right? Like, right? I nailed it, right? There's also the giraffe one, right? And then the one on the string, so we don't lose it. So why do I know that? Because they're valued, right? That, that which is numbered is valued, okay? We care about pacifiers because they make our baby happy, which makes us happy, right? When anything is numbered, it is carefully watched over. This is what Jesus is telling us. So he goes on. He says, don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows, you see, he's saying you don't have to be afraid because you're, you're, you're worth more than this whole flock of worthless things that, that Jesus cares for. You're worth more than, than this head of hair that you have or may have had that Jesus cares for. You're worth more than that. So if you find yourself constantly in fear, ask yourself, do I really believe that God cares for me? Or even further, do I believe that God has the capacity to care for me? God truly cares for you as his disciple. And since he takes care of even the minuscule things of the earth, you can trust that he will take care of his disciples too. So he goes on, he calls us to have no fear. 
And then in verse 32 to 39, he instructs his disciples to have no other allegiances. Verse 32, it says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. This is a very like in your face claim from Jesus. And if you remember last week, Pastor James, he talked about the reality that the gospel is offensive. The gospel's not neutral in any way. It's offensive because of what it claims. Like think about three of the biggest tenets of the gospel. First, that God created man to be in a relationship with him, right? It's an exclusive truth claim that God created us for him. Talks about the origins of humanity and the purpose of mankind. That's a truth claim. The gospel says that we are all guilty of sin and and worthy of eternal separation from God. Again, this, this talks about this truth claim that we're all broken and messed up. People don't like it when you tell them they're broken and messed up and can't fix themselves. It runs contrary to the, the American uh, work ethic, right? Then the gospel also says that, that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, and through his life, death, and resurrection, we can be made, made right with God. But it's through Jesus, right? That's an exclusive claim about how we can experience relationship with God. You see, all these things are confrontational truths. The gospel is offensive, that's why Jesus, uh, he alerts us to this reality and his disciples. In verse 34, he says, don't imagine that I came to bring, bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Wait, I, I thought Jesus was the prince of peace. I thought the Old Testament talked about this Messiah that would come and he would rule in a different way. He would rule through peace and not violence. Well, yes, those are, that's very true. Right? And this, true, or this, this statement doesn't contradict all those things. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He does rule in a different way. He rules through peace. When he says, I came to bring a sword, he's using a metaphor that talks about the confrontation and the division that comes through the gospel. It's going to come as a result of being a follower of Christ, of being a true disciple. When Jesus came inaugurating this new kingdom, He came presenting a new truth that no one could not respond to. The reality is we either trust that Jesus is king or we don't. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. That's why Jesus says, so he's calling us, right? He's calling us to this in the book of Matthew. He's presenting a case showing this is why Jesus is king. This is why he deserves our ultimate allegiance above all other things. And so he says in verse 35 and 36, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. In Jesus' day, family was the highest priority above all other things. In American culture, though we value family, it is important to us. It's not the preeminent concern of our lives. And in fact, culturally speaking, if you look at pop culture, there's actually, it's kind of cool to rebel against your family, right? Like think about uh, the 2012 Pixar flick Brave, right? If anyone saw it, maybe, no one, (laughs) right? It's amazing because of like the curly hair, like that was like a next level animation tactic so you can or technique check it out 
What's that? Oh, Na- Naomi likes it. But think about Brave, right? It's about this, this courageous Scottish girl who, who rebels against her parents, bucks the tradition of the culture. Eventually, that, it ends happily, right? Because it's cool to rebel against your parents. Uh, or further back, 1986, right? Classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off when, like, cool and charismatic Ferris kind of weasels his way around town enjoying the wonders of, of Chicago while averting his parents, you know, right? There, there's, in pop culture, it's cool to rebel against your family. But in other cultures, even today, familial honor is one of the highest priorities. Specific cultures that you can think of, Arab, Asian, Latino cultures, they have such high value of family that rarely a decision is made without considering how it will affect their family or, or asking their family if they should do or shouldn't do something. And really, that, that's closer to the biblical picture of what familial honor looks like and, and what Jesus was talking about. So in Jesus' day, one of the biggest betrayals a person could do was not against their spouse, but rather it was against their sibling. So to go against your brother or your sister was one of the most heinous acts that you could do in your family. But that's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples to. He goes on in verse 37, he says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Now it's important to remember, Jesus is not anti-family. He's not He's not trying to tear down the family or the familial unit. He's not attacking those things overall. We see elsewhere in Scripture that um, Jesus gets after the religious leaders of his day because they're violating um, the law of Corbin, which says you, when your family or parents essentially retire, when they can't make more money, it's your job to take care of them. They developed a system that um, essentially they were like, well, if I give my money to the temple, then I don't have to give my money to my family. But Jesus tells them, no, when you do that, you're actually violating both laws because God has called you to honor your mother and father. Then later, we'll see this later in Matthew, Jesus makes sure that his mother is taken care of while he's hanging on the cross. Jesus, he's not anti-family. Jesus is just calling us to not have our family be the preeminent allegiance. He's saying, don't, don't let other things be above me. What he's doing is he's hitting on this universal reality that in a broken world, hear me, the things we chase always elude us. The things we chase always elude us. Why? Because earthly things, they were not created to be worshipped. They were not created to be the sole rulers of our lives. David Foster Wallace, he's um, a secular author. Um, He writes about this this reality in one of his essays. And and mind you, when I read this, this guy is not a Christian. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships, or in the language you're using today, everybody has their allegiances, the things that they place above all else. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And here's where he hits on what we're talking about today, that what we chase eludes us. He says, if you worship money and things, 
If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will forever feel like you don't have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. The things we chase will always elude us. So what what are the things that you're chasing? What are the things that you are giving allegiance to outside of King Jesus? Is it your family's approval? Because the sad reality is no matter how many degrees you have or how much money you're making, It'll never be enough. Are you chasing comfort and security? What happens when you leave the walls of your your bunker and you don't have your alarms and your uh, simply safe security system, right? It's like you're always on edge. Are you chasing love and romantic relationships? You'll panic when you get that short text or that weird look from your significant other. Always be asking like, oh my gosh, are they mad at me? Are they about to break up with me? Are you chasing the, the new and the nice, right? Things get old and dirty, and then when the new and nicer things come out, the things you have feel older and dirtier, right? Amen from the iPhone 6S people. <laughs> come on, y'all with me? Okay. The things we chase always elude us because earthly things were not meant to receive our ultimate allegiance. Let me say that again. The things we chase always elude us because earthly things were not meant to receive our ultimate allegiance. Earthly things, they're broken and they are frail, just like us. Only our allegiance to the one true king will ever satisfy us and will ever truly allow us to be disciples of Christ. If you cling to your life, you will lose it, but if you give your life for me, you will find it. So have no other allegiances because Jesus is king. And then lastly, Jesus calls his disciples to have no doubt. Why? Because God receives you. Look at verse 40 through 42 with me. It says, anyone who receives, receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteousness, righteous people, because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. So this this section here, it transitions a little bit, right? The verses we've been looking at, he's speaking directly to the disciples, and now he actually changes his subject. He's talking about those who receive the disciples. So what he's saying in his immediate context is that those who receive the disciples, who take them in, they will, re- they will receive, in a literal sense, a reward like the original disciples. But what does that mean for us here today? The traditional teaching on this passage is that those who receive um, the apostles' teaching receive the teaching of Christ. Ergo, they receive the one who sent Christ. So essentially, Jesus is saying to us that if we receive the scriptures, we are receiving Jesus, who is also called the word of God. If we're receiving the word of God, we are receiving God himself. 
So as we receive and live out this, this teaching that's been ta- passed down in the scriptures, we're receiving Jesus. And in receiving Jesus, we are receiving the God who sent Jesus. It's in this that we will be rewarded. What's beautiful is that this is, this is a promise from God. This is not just some cute little bumper sticker idea, right? This is a promise that we will be rewarded if we receive Christ and his teaching. You may ask, well, well doesn't, doesn't this put things on me then? Doesn't this make like the whole salvation thing about me? I would say, no, not really. There's this, there's this idea in all relationships of mutual reception, right? One of the things I love more than anything is, uh, except Christ, you know, no other allegiances, so just kidding. Uh, one of the things I love a lot, sorry, um, for my hyperbolic language, uh, is just holding my son, okay? Now, when he was younger, it was way easier because he was not mobile, right? He just like a bump on a log with eyes and a cute smile, right? So I could hold him. We would rock together before he went to bed, and I would put him down. Now he moves a lot. So there's times when it's like, I, I, want, I want snuggles, man. Come on, you know, come love on me. So I'll pick him up, right? And he like pushes his arm straight out and then sticks his bottom out like that, where it's like, you just, you got to really grab him then, right? Now, if I'm just like really grabbing him and holding him and like forcing him to snuggle me, it's a lot less enjoyable, right? <laughs> like there's this, there's this mutual reception that has to happen for it to be enjoyable, or in another illustration, like, we all have friends that they just don't like hugs, right? They just don't. So you go to, I'm a big hugger, so sorry for my friends that hate hugs, but you go to hug them, and they, like, give you, like, the half-hearted pat on the back, or the worst is when they just stand there and, like, receive it. It's like, right? There, so there's, there's mutual reception, right, for, for a hug to be enjoyed. The reality is that's true of our relationship with God. There's mutual reception. God, God doesn't force you into relationship with you. He doesn't force himself into relationship with you, with you. There's mutual reception. The reality, and this is such a beautiful truth for us, is that for those who are in Christ, God's arms are always open. If we are truly in Christ, we always have access to our Father. We don't have to doubt our relationship with God because we who have received Jesus' teaching, we know that we have received the one who sent him. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 2.18. He says, Now all of us Christians can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And this is the comfort that we have in the gospel This is the comfort that we have in this good news that that through trust in King Jesus, we are now citizens of God's kingdom, and he is calling us to continue to engage and join him on mission to take his kingdom to the the ends of the earth. Now, when we look at a passage like this, when we see this, this huge call to discipleship, if we're honest, it can be really overwhelming, right? Jesus is saying, hey, hey, don't have any other fears, don't, don't have any other allegiances, and don't, don't have any doubt. It's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't think I can do that. And we need to remember this teaching was given directly to his disciples, right? That was the immediate context. So how did they do? 
Did they ace the test? Well, to the call of no fear, if you remember a couple weeks ago, they were on a boat with Jesus, the, the storms were surging, the waves were crashing in, and they were freaking out. They had a lot of fear. But, but Jesus, he doesn't, um, he doesn't get angry at them, per se. He doesn't say, hey, you guys are out now, you blew it. Right? He, he, he calmly comes and um, he stills the storms, says the waters ceased. They were still in an instant. To the call to have no other allegiances, you look at the life of Peter, right? He was very literally clinging to his life when he denied Jesus three times. Three people came to him asking him, hey, don't, aren't you with that Jesus guy? And even after three years of friendship, Peter's like, no, I don't know him, right? But what does Jesus do later when they encounter again Jesus embraces him and reiterates his call to be the leader of the church. And then lastly, what about the, uh, the call to, to have no doubt? Right? We all know the story of the Apostle Thomas, who infamously is known as Doubting Thomas. Right? He had doubts. He said, Jesus, I, I, can't, I can't believe that you're resurrected, that you're not just some ghost or a figment of my imagination unless I really touch you. Jesus doesn't say, oh man, you blew it failed the test, you're out. He says, okay, Thomas, come, come touch my wounds. He invites him in. What's beautiful uh, about our God is that in spite of all this failure, right, remember, this is what God is calling his disciples to, and they messed it up very quickly. But in spite of all this failure, Jesus doesn't push this ragtag group of disciples away Rather, he showers more and more grace upon them. He doesn't say to them, hey, you guys, you all failed. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the afterlife, you know, like, good luck to you, right? He doesn't say that. He says, hey, hey, you've blown it, but because you've blown it, remember that you need me all the more. This is what we're taught in 2 Timothy 2 about our Christian faith and and our good and gracious God, Paul tells us, if we are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So if this passage, this text is overwhelming to you, that's probably a good thing, because it's, it's only when we are humble that we are in a place to receive God for who he truly is. That's the upside nature, upside down nature of God's kingdom. It's not those who have it all together that are successful, It's the ones that are broken and poor in spirit. That's what Jesus said in in the last sermon that we looked at of his, right? Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, the lowly ones, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says when we are lowly and humble, that's when we are actually receiving him. Because we're receiving Jesus, the incarnate word, we're receiving the God who sent him, whose arms are always open wide. Every week when we gather together, um, we celebrate a meal together called communion. And this meal reminds us of God's grace to us. It reminds us that in a very literal way, 
Jesus had his arms open for us, that he was hung on a cross for us. He died the death that we deserved so that we could then live a life that we never deserved, so that we could be made in right relationship with God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, a simple loaf of bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. He said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. He said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you're pronouncing Christ's death until I return. Here at Sojourn, our tradition is to break off a piece of bread, to dip it into the juice. There will be stations up here at the front. There will be instructions on the screen behind me to show you where you can go to take communion. There is gluten-free elements over to my left and your right. Um, if you're unable to come forward and take the elements, um, we'll bring them to you, so you can just stay seated, and, and some of our servants will bring those to you. Lastly, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we ask that you um, not partake in this meal, not because we want to exclude you, um, but this meal, uh, it says in, in God's Word that this meal is for those who are about the reality of Christ. So if that's something you're interested in learning about, if you want to know, hey, what does it look like for me to become a Christian? What does it look like for me to have no other allegiances above King Jesus? You can come talk to uh, one of the pastors after the service or one of our volunteers, and uh, Lord willing, we can prepare you to take communion even next week. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.